Welcome to Desire to Destiny, a podcast where we explore the mystery behind our deepest desires and how they can make us happier human beings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Larson, but please just call me doctor. So this past week, I found out a juicy little secret about my eight-year-old son. It turns out that he is in love. Uh, The discovery took place this way. Uh, We were out at the grocery store and getting ready to leave uh, when he pointed out this little red beauty that he's been crushing on. And out of curiosity, I asked him, what is it about her that makes his heart swoon? You know, why is he so in love? Uh, He shrugged and looked at me. I don't know, uh, just because. Uh, I was not satisfied with this. So after prying a little bit more, I was able to drag a couple more details out of him, got, got him to gush a little bit. He said, well, it's, it's the sound, the, the look, everything is just so cool. Okay, cool would do for now. Uh, a couple days later, though, uh, when I was out with him again, his loyalty was going to be put to the test. Uh, he watched as driving out in front of us, he spotted a little yellow angel. Wow, he said from the back seat. Follow that car, follow that car. Which I did because I wanted to get a better look at just what it was that was grabbing his interest. And as we tailed these uh, individuals for a little while down the back roads, they eventually came to an exit onto the freeway that was in the opposite direction of our destination. I decided our little stalking session had to come to an end. But when I did, I heard the most disappointed sigh from the back seat. Oh, I wish you would have kept following them. I was surprised at this, so I turned and asked him, Is this one your new love? He sat there thoughtfully and then very definitively said, No, it's beautiful, but the Lamborghini is still my favorite. Oh, in case I wasn't real clear before, my uh, kid did not confess to being in love with a little girl. He might be, but he's not telling if he is. No, his love is a Lamborghini, and the one that almost drew his attention away was a yellow Corvette, as he discovered. But his love is still steady and sure. And while my eight-year-old might be in love with fast, expensive sport cars, I love these kinds of conversations. I love these opportunities of exploring uh, the depths of his heart and, and realizing the things that draw his attention, the, the powerful sound of the engine, the beautiful red sitting there in the sunlight, the, the status that he would get if he was actually the one driving that car. And I, for one, want him to have what he desires. I want my eight-year-old son to get what he's longing for. Oh, Not the Lamborghini or the Corvette, at least not on my dime. What I'm talking about that I want him to have are his true desires. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean when I say I want him to have his real desires if it's not the Lamborghini and it's not the Corvette? Well, to answer that, I need to actually define what I've been talking about, what I mean when I talk about desire in its purest form. See, we're into the third episode and over an hour together talking about desires, and I realize I haven't even given you a definition yet, so it's probably about time. What is desire? Well, when I speak about desire, I'm not talking about the images that often come to mind, like the sports cars, the designer clothes, or the beach bodies. Of course, this is connected to our desires. This is often how we think about it. But the objectification of our longing 
I believe, often pulls us away from the truth of our desires. So when I'm talking about desires, what I'm actually talking about is something more like this. Here's a working definition for desire that we'll use throughout the journey. Desire is an internal longing that empowers and motivates a person to pursue happiness in various forms and determines their measure of fulfillment in life. Now, let's break this down just a bit. So the first phrase in that definition is an internal longing that empowers and motivates a person. An internal longing that empowers and motivates a person. I want to emphasize right up front that a true understanding of desire comes from understanding it in its purest form, in its often most hidden forms. And so what we're really looking, what we're really looking at is the driving force behind the behaviors, the, the things that motivate and empower us underneath. So then we might ask the question, uh, what truly motivates the soldier who gives his life on the front line? What truly motivates the woman who invests thousands upon thousands of dollars to solve her issues with infertility? Uh, what solves or, or what motivates the, the addict who seeks uh, another fix from, from the bottle or, or from prescription pills or from online gambling? What motivates the entrepreneur who seeks to build a global company? What is going on inside each one of them that results in these behaviors? And when you start to reflect on it at the deeper level, you realize there can be very different motives for each of these individuals, even in, these, in what seems to be the exact same roles. So how different might the motives uh, of a soldier be who joins the army to, to get a free college education, as opposed to the one who comes from a multi-generational military family and knows that it's just a matter of honoring the family name? Or how different might the motives be of a 40-year-old single woman who's trying to get pregnant as opposed to a newlywed? Or how different might the motives be of an addict who is grieving the loss of a parent as opposed to the one whose supplier is their parent? Or how different might the motives be of the business owner who's looking to seek attention and build a name for themselves as opposed to one who's a champion for social justice and wants to solve issues of inequality? Now, I understand our inclination to think about desires in their more tangible forms, to really think about the objects that we pursue after the, uh, the nice house and the fast car and the, the beautiful clothes and the, the vacations and these kinds of things. But when we're talking about desire in this conversation and for this podcast, I'm wanting us to think more about what's underneath the surface, what's motivating it. To think of it like an iceberg, where the most significant part of our desires is beneath the surface. And it can be very different for one person than the other, even if their actions and behaviors look almost identical. But if this is the case, then why do they do what they do? I mean, what are they motivated towards? Everybody's motivated by these different things. And many of us engage in a variety of behaviors. But what are we motivated towards. Put simply, it's that next line in the definition. We are motivated to pursue happiness in various forms. And regardless of of what your initial reaction may be to the validity of this as a goal, people want to be happy. We all want to be happy. I I don't just mean happiness in a kind of blithe, uh, ignorance is bliss sort of way, avoid pain, find pleasure sort of thing. I mean it in the deepest sense, in the sacrificial, the grit and guts, virtue and honor, highest ideal. Work your tail off for 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness sort of way. Everybody wants this. In fact, Jesus knew this quite well when he spoke directly to this motivation in the Beatitudes, when he spoke of the poor in spirit, and those who mourn, and those who hunger and thirst, the peacemakers, the pure in heart. And he said, in essence, these are the happy ones. The ones that are blessed were the ones that Jesus said are happy. We'll come back to that in a later season. But at their very best, desires give us the power and the energy to keep pursuing true happiness. Do not miss how valuable that is. At their very best, desires give us the power and energy to keep pursuing true happiness. At their worst, they push us relentlessly towards empty idols that mimic happiness, that make us feel like we can be satisfied when we never really can. Either way, desires don't stop moving us in pursuit of a happy life. And that is why the last part is also true, that when we're describing desires, we need to recognize that they determine our measure of fulfillment in life. Because we want to be happy. And this reality doesn't change based on our religious affiliation or life circumstances. Rather, it is the measure to which these desires are truly satisfied that we find fulfillment with our lives. It's not about how well we even carry out our our different uh, religious principles and whatnot. It is truly how much these desires are, are satisfied. And we might find a measure of fulfillment in having our desires partially satisfied, We might find an illusion of fulfillment in oversatiating certain desires so that we numb other ones, so that we grow out of touch with them. But true fulfillment in life comes in direct proportion to our satiation of desire, which is always churning, by the way. This is why understanding our desires is so crucial. Not only does it teach us more about ourselves, it teaches us how to survive, even thrive living with ourselves. So once again, when we talk about desire, we are talking about this definition that I've given. That is, desire is an internal longing that empowers and motivates a person to pursue happiness in various forms and determines their measure of fulfillment in life. Now, maybe you're not sure if the definition and the explanation that I've given about desires and what they are and the role they play in our happiness Uh, is actually accurate, is true. Maybe you're still questioning that, but hold that question for a moment, or even better yet, when I give you the email at the end of this episode, send your feedback directly to me. I'd love to hear it. But for the meantime, I I want to address a, a problem that comes up once we start to focus internally on desire. And that problem is that it can lead to a lot of confusion. You know, if, if somebody can say, I want a big family, or I want a fast car, or I want to be a millionaire. And if they just attach that as being their life's desires, then it's real clear the direction that they're headed. And it's real clear if they get what they want or if they don't. But if I can't talk like that, if I can't just say, here is the exact image or physical manifestation of my desire, then how can I even put into words what it is that I really want? And why does it even matter if it's so abstract? Well, we use these tangible images to express our desire because often it seems to be the only way we can make them real. And without these images, the conversation about our desires uh, might become like uh, the dreaded conversation between one mother and her five-year-old philosopher. 
Uh, the little girl comes to her one day and says, Mommy, why did you get married? And her mom thinks about it and tells her, Well, because I fell in love with your dad and wanted to tell him I loved him every day for the rest of our lives. But why? Um, because I thought he was funny and smart and a hard worker, and that was the kind of person I'd like to be around. But the five-year-old's not done yet. Why? Because those qualities are important to me, and he just seemed like the right person to live the rest of my life with. And once again, the philosopher comes back. But why? Uh, because, uh, oh, oh, look, ice cream. <laughs> Don't you love ice cream? Mmm, ice cream. That actually does sound good right now. I'll, I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. Where were we? Oh, yes, ice cream. Actually, no. Uh, I was talking about how we can get our desires all mixed up, which ice cream is a very good example of. But back to that five-year-old. Did they really want ice cream? Eh, maybe it works a couple times, but no. On this occasion, they want answers about existential truths that the mother doesn't feel they understand, at least the kid would understand, or that maybe the mom doesn't understand or doesn't even want to admit to. And so when the kid refuses ice cream and continues pushing down the answer to the never-ending why, mom finally lets it out. I married your father because of some dysfunction from my childhood between me and my dad, and I'm still trying to work that out with a very expensive therapist. Ouch. But why, Mommy? Hmm, why indeed. And this is what can be so uncomfortable with prying the depths of our desires. Do I really want to know what I really, really want? And maybe if you're being honest right now, you say you don't want to know. Maybe you'd rather just live without reflecting on this and take the chances that whatever version of desire you're chasing, whatever object that takes, whatever tangible thing you pursue, well, hopefully it's uh, healthy enough that it won't get you into too much trouble. But the truth is that if the definition I've given you earlier that is true, and, and I think that it is, uh, the truth is that this leads to a lot of unhappiness in our lives that simply isn't necessary. Yeah, there may be some pain in uncovering some of these long-lost and hidden desires. There might be some difficulties uh, learning how to live with ourselves as we discover ourselves in new ways, difficulty living in the jobs we have or in the relationships that we're in. There might be some adjustments. But if we want to be more satisfied with our lives, we need to do this work to know ourselves better, to know our situation better, and to have a better shot at happiness. In many ways, this was the objective of the late Dr. Stephen Reese, whose research led to the development of the Reese Motivational Profile. Dr. Reese wanted to know, why are people the way they are? And how do I understand and predict their behavior? And he wanted to understand this in a very particular way. What is it that is motivating them? And can I identify motivations that are present across the board in every individual? So using a test that has now been standardized by over 80,000 responses from 23 countries and three continents, Dr. Reese was able to identify 16 basic desires that ultimately drive people's behaviors, the motives underneath the actions. And he discovered that every person has their own 
almost completely unique set of universal basic desires. These universal basic desires are in everybody, and all of them are in each person to varying degrees. But having these individual needs fulfilled is what leads to happiness and contentment for each person. Now, you can be very high in one category and very low in another category, but everybody at least presents some level of these basic desires within them. And why this is helpful is because once you have some of these names for desires, it becomes a little easier to start talking about what's really motivating you, what's really at the core and the heart of all of it. Perhaps you will recognize some of the motivators that are at work in you when you pursue that job, that relationship, uh, that, new, uh, that new opportunity, when you go on vacation. You might see some of these motivators at work. In short, these are the desires that he identified. I'll, I'll just list them off to you with a very short definition of what each one is. The first one that uh, is mentioned in alphabetical order is acceptance. Uh, that is the desire for positive self-regard. Um, just wanting to uh, be accepted and to be regarded highly by other people. The second one is curiosity or the desire for understanding. This is the desire that's at work behind that little five-year-old philosopher and the perpetual, why mommy, why mommy, those kinds of questions. The next one is eating or the desire for food. And and here we're not talking about uh, the idea that well, everybody needs food to live. It's, it's not the idea of eat to live. It's more the idea of live to eat, loving the taste of it, loving the uh, different varieties of foods. And yes, it was identified as a basic desire. Another one is family, the desire to raise children and spend time with siblings. And this is mostly focused on the family unit that you would perceive it as the parent of that unit or as it says in the description, with your siblings, with your brothers and sisters. Next, we have honor, uh, which is the desire for upright character. I was mentioning this a little bit earlier in the example of a, a soldier who wants to honor the family name and so continues being in the military. He's part of a military family, and a lot of times honor works in that way. I want to honor my heritage, my legacy, the um, parentage that I come from. Another one is idealism, which is the desire for social justice. See a lot of these kinds of conversations coming up in political circles uh, amongst people who, you know, just want to defend the rights of the marginalized or the ones that are pushed aside. So idealism. Then there's a desire for independence, which is uh, pretty self-explanatory. It's the desire for self-reliance, to be able to do things for yourself. Uh, Next is order, the desire for structure. Uh, there's a little bit of that even in this list, starting and going alphabetically. Somebody else might want to organize them in a different way. But the desire for order is just wanting stuff to be put in the right place and in the right time, etc., etc. The next one is physical activity or the desire for muscle exercise is the way it's said, which I just love that uh, because I guess some of us have muscles that we just don't have the desire to exercise. We'd much rather let them relax and have a peaceful life. That's actually a desire that's coming up later on. Next, there's power, which is the desire for influence or leadership over others. The ability to influence and move people, to make different decisions, to lead them, um, could be in all these different kinds of causes. If you think of power in comparison to idealism, one person might really be an idealist and be pushing for the cause to happen, 
whereas somebody who wants that and power may be the one leading those kinds of efforts. Next is romance or the desire for beauty and sex. And in the opening analogy that I shared with you, where there's kind of this sense that um, are we dealing with a relationship between two people or are we dealing with an eight-year-old infatuated uh, with a little crush, a little girl that he knows, or as it turns out, was it actually with a car, an automobile? Well, that desire for beauty can be seen in either one of those when he says, oh, it's just beautiful either way. So romance carries into those categories. Next is saving or the desire to collect. Uh, This is simply just having things collected for the sake of collecting them. You might think of uh, some of those reality television shows about hoarders. They cannot get rid of anything. They have to collect it all. Then there's social contact or the desire for peer companionship, for connecting with one another. This time of social distancing can be very hard on somebody with a high desire for social contact. Next up is status or the desire for respect based on social standing. They just want people to respect them and to think highly of them, so they want you know, positions of status. Uh, Second to last one is tranquility, the desire for safety or the desire for peace, which as I said before, some people who just don't want to do anything, don't want to work out, don't want to move, they might say, I just want to be at peace, just calm. Thank you very much. And finally, the last one on this list is vengeance or the desire to confront those who offend. Now, the research on this topic says that these 16 basic desires, once again, are found in every person at different levels uh, in each individual. And that when we're able to identify the motivators driving our behavior, we're better equipped to assess if our pursuit is a healthy and productive one. So think of it this way. Am I chasing a job I don't really want just to gain acceptance? And could I meet that need another way that wouldn't produce additional unhappiness? Or am I overpowering people in personal relationships because of a desire for influence and leadership? And could another cause need those skills that I offer? Or am I chasing a relationship with someone I don't really want to be with because of an unfulfilled need for romance? And then I could ask myself, could could I meet that desire for beauty in other ways? This is the kind of reflection that is continually necessary for us to find happiness as it relates to our pursuit of desires. And really, there are no shortcuts. And that leads to my final story uh, for this episode that that I want to wrap this up with. Last week, we looked at the origin of desire, at least as it was from Uh, the story of Genesis, the creation story in Genesis chapter one. And there we saw that God had created a world full of desire and invited humanity to live into many of these desires that were listed. God invited them to exercise power in taking rule of the planet. Uh, God invited them to have romantic relationships and to build families when he gave the command to be fruitful and multiply. God invited them to enjoy good food uh, by offering them to eat anything they desired. Um, And there were many other desires that could be seen in the world that God created and many other invitations to fulfill those desires. But there was also something interesting in this world full of everything you could desire. And it really comes in the second telling of the creation story. After Genesis 1 is complete, the second creation story in Genesis chapter 2 kind of retells it from a different angle. It goes a little more in depth to God's interactions with humanity. 
And in this case, uh, God gives the completed creation with a beautiful garden, makes it uh, available there for Adam, the first human, to enjoy. But instead of saying over and over again, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good, God notices instead, it says in Genesis uh, chapter 2, it is not good that man should be alone. Because at least in the way the story is to this point, he is alone. And so God uh, initiates this, uh, this kind of spiritual exercise for Adam, where he invites him to name all of the animals throughout creation. In fact, the scripture says that he brings the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. He wants to give Adam an opportunity uh, to participate in creation and to reflect and to discover something he hadn't discovered before. And so Adam does. He names them one after another, looks at the size and the tusks of one animal and says, ooh, this overwhelming beast is an elephant. Looks at the goofiness of another one and says, oh, that's a monkey. Notices the grace and fluidity of motion and says, that's a, a swan. And over and over again, Adam observes he delights in, and he names each creature. But when he gets done, there is no creature uh, that truly relates to him. There's no creature that, that he feels that complete connection with. And Adam becomes uh, aware uh, of a longing for something more. Uh, we're not told exactly what it was, which aspect of relationship it, you know, it might have been, the, the companionship. Um, the desire for a family, the desire for romance. Um, but it's at this point that he begins to realize there's something inside of me that wants more. And so God uh, puts him to sleep, uh, does the first uh, surgery, the first social scientist becomes the first surgeon. And when Adam wakes up again to see what God has done, he is stunned. He says, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Which is probably the first and last time Adam used that name in addressing her. But nevertheless, what we see here is not that God is ignoring the, uh, the physical longings we have, the, the, the need that we have for these internal desires to actually be met in some sort of uh, physical and tangible ways. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Adam said. And so this story is truly a divine affirmation of our desires. It's a recognition that our longings are healthy and even holy. What's, got, what's more, God's exercise with Adam not only affirmed those desires, but it fanned the flame to make them even hotter. Imagine how strong Adam's longing for Eve became, even when he didn't know her yet, as he named those animals one by one, and recognized that none of them fit the longing that was stirring inside of him. And then when he comes to this discovery of, I'm all alone, I'm all alone, to all of a sudden not only see that desire, uh, that aching within him, but to have God fulfill it shows how vital, how important our desires are to the divine ideal of happiness. God believes our desires in the way that they were created and intended to be are pure and noble and good and vital to our happiness. That is the affirmation that God has for us. But as we end this episode, if that is true, 
there's a question hanging out there. What then is it about desires that causes us so much trouble? Well, we'll begin to unpack the answer to that question in the next episode, Shame on You, coming out in two weeks. In the meantime, I'd always love to hear from you. You can leave comments on the show's page in iTunes or on the ramada.org website. That's R-H-E-M-A-T-A dot org. Or you can email your thoughts to me at desire to destiny at ramada.org. And if you'd like to help support the production of this podcast, you can give at www.ramada.org backslash give. Until next time, peace and love, everyone. <laughs>